0: Family, hello SBC. <laughs> what a time for us to really hold
1: on to Jesus and He is our sure foundation and the anchor of our souls. We miss you and we're praying for you and looking forward to seeing you all soon. <laughs> bye bye, hello
0: SBC family. Missing seeing you in person and sharing a cup of hot chocolate after church. I can't wait until we're all back together worshiping in our church building. For now, Thanks to our
1: church leadership for making sure we're still connected. See you all soon. Good morning, SBC. we greetings from the Hawkeby family on this beautiful, sunshiny morning.
0: Yes, good morning, everybody. Sorry we can't be with you in person at the moment. Looking forward to us getting back together again for hugs and enjoying all the testimonies you have to give. Hey STC family, We miss you! Although you have
1: been able to stay connected yeah. online, um, we still can't wait till we can see you again in person.
0: Just want to send you lots of love and encouragement from the Dohaans. Hi STC! We're
1: Welcome to our house. We're uh, really, really sad that we can't all gather and um, fellowship with each other on a Sunday morning but uh, we're really missing everyone. It's,
0: Sterling, we're missing the um, time together and definitely the coffee afterwards. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Sunday, and hello from me as well, and a warm welcome to the service, guys. Can you believe that we have been on lockdown for over ten weeks already? I hope that wherever you guys are, that you are staying encouraged and that you're staying close to the Lord in this season. We're excited to dive into lesson seven from our series "A Call to Courage," going to be brought to us today by Matt Johnson. And then John James and his daughter are going to lead us in worship at the end of the service, so please stay tuned for that. I have nothing new to bring to your attention today, so I'm going to hand straight over to Joe and Alyssa. They're going to pray us into the service, and then Matt will kick us off with the sermon. Hope that you guys have a great service with us today, and that your hearts are open to whatever the Lord wants to say to you. Good morning, SBC. We're so happy that we can meet with you again this morning,
1: to hear God's Word and to worship together in song. Psalm 92 verse one and two says the following. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. We as a church, uh, even though we're in this strange economic climate, have been able to cover our expenses and pay our staff a full salary. And God has been faithful and his steadfast love has been demonstrated to us in that. And so we wanna thank you as well for being faithful in such a difficult season in your giving. I wanna hand over to Alyssa and she's gonna pray for us and then we'll hand over to Matt. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and the goodness that you show to us, Lord. We thank you that you are ever in control and that you are trustworthy and that we can trust you with everything.
0: Mm.
1: So Lord, we just pray this morning that as we hear your word, that it will settle in our hearts And that it would minister to us. Father, I just pray that you would speak through Matt this morning. You ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Over to you, Matt. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to our Sunday online service. so good to be with you. And again, welcome to anyone who's checked in for the first time today, or for anyone who is not quite considering themselves a Christ follower yet, but is open to hearing God's word. It's so good to have you with us today. And can you believe it? It's the seventh part of our journey through the book of Joshua. And we've been looking at courageous faith. And today we're going to be looking at chapter seven and chapter eight. And uh, before I hand over to Karen, who's going to be reading for us, she's one of our deacons in the life of SBC, I want to just remind you again to make the most of our Sunday times together at nine o'clock on Facebook Live. There's just something special about being a community together, hearing God's word together and worshipping together that I don't want you to miss out on. And so without further ado, over to you, Karen. Morning, Sterling. Welcome. Missing you all at the church. Um, Hopefully one day soon we'll be able to all get back there and worship together. Karen's just got a small reading for us, so I'll pass you over to
0: her. Hi, Sterling. We're missing you guys. Can't wait to actually all just worship the Lord together. But hope you're staying safe and hope you're being kind to yourself. And um, yeah, just hope you're staying close to God at this time. So our reading today is from... Um, Joshua chapter 7, and I'm reading from verse 1. Israel defeated by Ai, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Kami, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burnt against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, and the elders of Israel... And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? What would that we have been content to dwell beyond the, beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them amongst their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, concentrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with devoted things shall be burnt with fire and he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, and man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Kami, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messages, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Eichel. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord bring trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burnt them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Eichel.
1: Thank you so much, Karen. So it was a, a lengthy chapter this morning that we read, but really important in discussing and unpacking what I want to talk about today. And the thing that's striking about this chapter 7 of Joshua is, Is it's radical contrast to chapter six. I mean, yeah, in chapter six, you've got Israel conquering Jericho, and it's this amazing, courageous feat of trusting God and and doing something that's never been done before, and God coming through so powerfully. And then suddenly in chapter seven, we see a humiliating defeat. Uh, of Israel at this town called Ai, or Ai. I'm going to do it Matt Johnson's other day, so it's I. So at this town of Ai where Israel thinks, oh man, no problem, we can just can't get a city, we'll just do a village, uh, and uh, with uh, in no time at all. And uh, so we see that actually this tiny town humiliatingly defeats Israel, and uh, we see uh, that Israel goes back and licks their wounds. And uh, This chapter tells us a lot about something that's important when we're considering courageous faith uh, as Christians. It has a lot of powerful lessons to it, and today I'm trusting that it's going to be a life-changing word for some, including myself. Because if we can grasp the weightiness of chapter 7, I think it can be a breakthrough that will bring much blessing to SBC and to your life personally. And so i want to encourage you to listen carefully. It's going to end in a very encouraging way. But before we get there, we've got to deal with some weighty stuff that chapter 7 forces us to look at as Christians today. And that we can really benefit from if we respond to you. The first is this, then. My point uh, today is from the first verse of Joshua chapter 7. Is that courageous faith fears sin. I'll say it again. Courageous faith fears sin. Now, it's weird saying courageous and fear in the same sentence, right? But I want to unpack the reason for using these words together in my point today. And uh, this is a moment in chapter 7 where we see sinners come into the camp of Israel. And it's very serious in the eyes of God. And uh, it comes through in this first verse of chapter 7 where it says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Well, Achan, the son of Kami, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, uh, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against his people of Israel. Now, I want to say something today that's important to have in the back of your mind as we tackle this text. Courageous faith has got two aspects to it. The first is a positive aspect, and that's what we've been unpacking over these last six weeks is we are to be positive in our faith. We are to trust God in his promises. We are to trust his ways. We are to seek his presence. These things are, are vital to Creator's faith. It's a positive faith, but there is also a negative aspect to Creator's faith that if we're not careful in remembering, it can undercut all of our desires to please God. You see, This negative aspect to courageous faith is this, is that there is something that courageous faith will not touch, will not go near, it actually hates, and it's called sin. And we see this disaster, uh, this humiliating defeat of Israel um, against this little town or village called Ai, uh, because of one man's sin called Aachen that affects the whole progress of this nation going forward. And I want to remind you that this is off the back of chapter six, where God had commanded his people when they were taking Jericho, he said, You don't touch anything of the city. You committed to destruction, right? And only those things of value, like gold and silver, that goes to the Lord. None of the booty was meant to be kept by Israel. Ah, uh, but saw, oof, there was a really nice cloak. I mean, he coveted, he probably was a, would have been a great shopper in his day. If he was living in our day, he would have walked past all the stores and go, one, well, that, that, that. He loved, there was this great material he found, the cloak of shannon um, He had gold and, and silver that he hid in his tent. And he went directly against the command of God. And this had devastating effects upon the courage of Israel. And so today, I want to remind you that as we look at this thing of sin and how courageous faith fears, it doesn't want to go anywhere near it, sin, in essence, is disobedience to the word of God. It is actually a form of unbelief. Because in a sense, every time you and I sin, we are not trusting the wisdom and authority of God's word in our lives. We've put ourselves ahead of what God has said in terms of what is good and what is not for us. And so the reason why we want to tackle chapter 7 well is also to say, guys, sin is fatal to courageous faith. It kills confidence and courage. And it comes through in in verse 5 of chapter 7. So strongly, after this defeated I, it says this about the people of Israel. It says, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So different to chapter 6, right? Yeah, we're going to take the city. Chapter 7, because of the presence of the sin in the camp, they just melted. They had no courage to stand before this little village of a few thousand people. And I want to say this, and listen to me carefully this morning. Sin always leads to defeat in the Christian life. Say it again. Sin always leads to the defeat or leads to defeat in the Christian life. And this is the emphatic message of chapter 7. You see, God won't even let his people take a village or town, even though they've just taken a city because of sin in the camp. It is God making a clear statement and saying, guys, because of sin in the camp, I'm not going with you any further until it's dealt with. And This is almost, chapter 7, is an insult to the strength and capacity of Israel. You've got a whole nation. I mean, it's like a million people against a a couple of thousand. But God saying no, because of this transgressing of my word, I'm not going to go with you until you deal with it. And so this chapter 7 teaches us about God's attitude to sin. And remember, we have to carry the same attitude in our lives towards things that God has an attitude towards. And his attitude towards sin should be our attitude towards sin. And and also, we're going to look at how in chapter seven and eight we deal with sin when it arises in this wonderful thing called covenant. And so, under this first point today, I want to unpack briefly just five things you can learn of why courageous faith needs to fear sin and what we can learn about sin that teaches us to really be cautious around this in our lives? Well, the first point is this, is that God will never excuse sin, ever. He takes it extremely seriously, and friends, I want to say to you, chapter 7 tells us he is totally impartial to it. You see, I love the King James version of, of the way he puts it. It says, he won't wink at sin. He won't say, hey, you're fine. You're okay. You're covered under the blood, you know, carry on sinning. We'll, we'll just uh, put it to the side, and we'll move forward. No, friends, the blood of Jesus that we spoke about in, in chapter 5 of Joshua doesn't blind God to sin. It gives him a mechanism for him to be able to deal with sin in our lives. It's so important to remember that. We have the blood to deal with sin, not to excuse it. And so in this unpacking of chapter 7, we see God's hatred of sin. We see that uh, supremely as Christians in the attitude of his son Jesus when he was on planet Earth. What is our greatest proof that God hates sin? Well, it's seen in his son who's a reflection of the Father. You know, Jesus would rather sweat blood than give in to sin. He'd rather be in such anguish of whether the blood vessels would burst open in his face and drip down sweating sweats, sweat droplets of blood than touch sin. That's how serious he understood the consequences of sin in the life of a child of God. And today I want to say to you, where does this hatred of God's sin come from? Well, it comes from the side effect of his love. You see, what is the one thing that has defiled God's creation? What is the one thing that has corrupted it and caused it to become uh, 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 polluted? It is this thing called Sin. And sin is the greatest enemy to God's perfect plans and purposes, and the world resists it. And I want to say to you today, what is the one thing that's going to destroy God's purposes and plans in your life, just as in creation? It's this thing called sin that is not dealt with before God. And so today, I want to remind you that God will never excuse sin. And the reason why he won't is... Because of its consequences, it brings me to my second point, is that sin always has a corporate impact. Oh, this really got me. At first, I'll be honest, I was angry when I read the first verse of chapter 7. Do you know why? I'll read it to you. It says this, it says, But the people of Israel, the people, plural, broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Archan, that's one guy, by the way, for Archan, the son of Kami, the son of Zabbi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And, you know, I I was upset because I'm going, yes, one guy's sin. God, why are you causing your anger to burn against everybody because of his sin? You see, one man's action has affected the entire nation's progress. And I'm going, that's not fair. Ah, but you see. What chapter seven is teaching us here is, guys, remember, remember, this is so important that our personal sin doesn't merely have or only have personal consequences. It affects people around us and particularly the progress of God's people as a whole. I'll be vulnerable to you because I want to put myself first in in the stock. So I struggle often with anger, unrighteous anger towards my kids Even in my marriage, I get frustrated, I get grumpy, I get irritable. And I'll tell you what, not once has God ever blessed that behavior in my marriage and my relationship with my kids, never. Not once has God ever blessed unbelief in my life. Has he ever blessed any form of selfishness? Never have I experienced God's kingdom blessing flowing when I'm flowing with sin. Never, once, not once. And you'll be the same too if you're very honest today. And I want to say to you today, although I'm indulging my selfish desire because of sin, it's impacting the people around me, my church, my kids, my wife, my colleagues, my friends. Sin never has just merely individual consequences. It affects everybody. And I want to explain to you like this. It was a very sobering moment. I was listening to Archie Kendall preach one day, and he was sharing a moment when he got to observe as a young man an ordination service. You had these young pastors all dressed up, you know, in his, in his denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. Extremely strict denomination. Uh, it was came from the, uh, the, the teaching of Charles Wesley. Auntie Kendall moved away from that Armenian perfectionist position. But there were some things that he really learned in that denomination. And the guy who was preaching was this amazing preacher. And he was head of, he was moderator of the denomination. And he said this to these guys. He said, guys, there are two things you must hold sacred in your ministry that you must honor above everything else, it says. He said, you must honor the blood and the Holy Ghost. In other words, he said, you are not ashamed of the blood of Jesus. There is only one way a person experiences salvation. It is faith in the blood. You make much of the blood of the Passover lamb. It is the way of experiencing remission of sins and experiencing what it means to come into covenant to become part of the people of God. It is massive. We honor the blood as Christians. We're not ashamed of blood. The second thing he said is this, is you honor the Holy Ghost modern terminology, the the Holy Spirit, he said this, because he knew that congregation, that denomination of the Nazarites or Nazarenes, they were not wealthy, they were not in any way sophisticated, in actual fact they were a bit rejected by uh, local Christians because they were so strict and so strange in their passion for God, and this man knew that if this church grieved the Holy Spirit, they were done for. And friends, what this man, and I've pondered on these two things, and, I, and he was so right. We must understand that this spirit inside of us is called holy, not so we When asked, did you think about that? He's holy, and he is sensitive, and he is easily grieved by sin, so that in your life, there is something that happens in your relationship with the spirit that grieves him, and there's a distancing. And friends, sin in an individual Christian affects the corporate presence of God. Remember, that's awesome and almost terrifying moment of Ananias and Sapphira in the early church. Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and their opportunity to do anything more for God on planet earth was cut off at that moment. They were summoned home. You see, friends, we have to understand that in our sin, it doesn't just affect us, it affects the corporate progress of God's people. I'll tell you another one more story, another story that I, I, I I want to just uh, bring home the point. I was preaching at a camp once in my early years, uh, early years, I still consider myself, yeah, um, and I, I struggled. It was a Friday night. There, it was like death was in the room. There was no presence of God. I labored through my sermon. I would put in hours of preparation, and Saturday I woke up, and I just knew what I'd prepared for that night was uh, just not right. And I prayed and I prayed. I was in agony that day, and I said, "God, you know what is wrong with me? I can't seem to I can't seem to understand what you want to say to these people. Like I know you want to say something, but I'm not getting anything from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, like is it me? And I remember just before the evening service was going to start, God told me, Matthew, this is not you. this is them. Because during that day, I just heard there was a particular group of students from a particular school that were just slanderous there was gossip there was disunity and was within minutes I was hearing all these different stories and God said that grieved my spirit and three minutes before I had to preach that night God came through and he gave me a word but he gave me a word into that context and God's spirit flowed but it wasn't an addressing sin and they broke up and they responded to it, but it, it made me aware of guys, when we are going to give into sin might we remember that this is never going to be just for personal indulgence and consequence. It's going to affect the people around us and supremely the people of God. And we want to carry our brothers and sisters on our shoulders. We want to show courage to resist sin because we want to see the kingdom of God and his people progress in this time. We want to see glory being given to God and God's people moving forward in the things of him and being a blessing to this nation and the context where we get to serve. That will only happen, I guarantee you now. If we fear sin. Now, my third point is this, is that sin always leads to defeat in the Christian life. Now, if you suddenly get a bit depressed, just hang in there again. We're going to get to some good news. But this is good news. This is a breakthrough moment for some of us here who have been stuck in one place for a long time. We want to be set free from that today. Because, friends, today, sin always leads to defeat in the Christian life. And I want to say to you again, when we sin as Christians, it doesn't mean our whole Christian lives collapse. You know, like now oh, suddenly we, we can go nowhere. No. What I mean is by this point of saying sin always brings defeat in the Christian life. It's at that point, at that space, in that area of our lives, we're defeated. In other words, no blessing of God can flow at that point. No kingdom can can progress the Kingdom of God at that point. You might have other areas that are doing well, but in that moment, defeat comes because of sin. And so, I'll give you an example, in marriage, it doesn't mean every time you get angry that now the marriage covenant collapses, no, it just means at that point, in your marriage, there's defeat, there's no blessing, there's no Kingdom of God that's able to flow and no progress of the Kingdom. And this is the point of, of Joshua chapter 7. God will not let his people move forward until they've dealt with that. It's, an, it's at this point that he's saying, No, no, we need to deal with this. All the other points are operating, but this point is saying, we've mm, got to deal with this here. And so that's the point as well of, of the angel of the Lord. Remember in Joshua chapter 5? He's his drawn sword, and he's and Joshua asks him, Are you for us or are you for them? And the angel says, No, I'm not for you, I'm for the Lord. In other words, saying, if you want to be progressing forward in the kingdom, you've got to be in God's camp, and there's no sin in God's camp. God will honor his character and his name, which is sinless. And so, my friends, I want to say this. The Christian who stands in sin at that point stands alone. God will not bless that activity with his power and his presence. And therefore, we have to fear sin. God will never fight for sin, my friend. He will only fight for righteousness. He won't bless sin. And so, again, I say to you today that in our minds, we must remember the measure of the Christian life, how far we go is not because of our talents or how brilliant we are or how great our skill is. How far we go in this life is determined by whether or not God is with us. We must drop this way of thinking, of modern modern thinking of saying, you know, it's a person's fame and fortune and talent and looks that get him anywhere in life. Let me tell you, in the Christian life, the measure of a man or a woman is the degree to which they stay close to God and have his hand upon their lives. And that's the point, is Joshua chapter 6 was glorious. Joshua chapter 7 was a flock, because at the end of Joshua chapter 6 it says, And God is with Joshua and his fame spread across the land, chapter 7. It says this in verse 11 and 12. It says, Israel has sinned. And it says, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. It says that God will say, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. The thing that you must concentrate the most of in your Christian life is your relationship with God and it being right. And wanting his hand upon your life, if that is what you fear most losing, you'll be in good shape, my friend. No matter what pandemic, no matter what coronavirus, no matter what's coming, no matter what challenge, if your sole passion is to have God's approval on your life and to say, I don't want to move from anything that God would not would would not be pleased or would would would, would, would disapprove of, then my friends, today you're in good shape. You're in good shape. That's the mark. Of a man or woman who is going to achieve what God has for him to do and is going to stand in these days. Because again, Hebrews 11 says this, I, I can, I can t- attack this from every point of view of Scripture. You know, Hebrews 11 is the gallery of faith where we see all the great people of faith Abraham and Moses and David and Sarah. Anybody who achieved anything great that's, that's, that gets honored is in Hebrews 11. Ah, oh, but we forget
0: Hebrews 12, this one.
1: What's the thing in in view of all of these examples of courageous faith? What does it say? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The thing that stops progress in your life of achieving on that day, being a part of that gallery of courageous faith, where God says, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, is sin. And the example of these men and women in Hebrews 11 is for us to remind us that our greatest desire is to have God's approval on our lives, in our behavior, in what we think and say and do. Oh, if that's your heart, you're in good shape, my friend. You're in good shape. You're lined up for glory that is going to be full of God's well done. Now, I want to move a bit quicker here and, and say, you know, I know it sounds weird. If you're really listening to me speak this morning. You hearing me say there are certain things God will not go with you, be with you in. In other words, he will not be with you in sin. And it sounds a bit strange to talk like that because we taught from Sunday school, right? It says, you know, God will never leave you nor forsake you. We, we taught that. Basically, there's this unconditional presence of God in our lives. So how can God say yeah, to these people, I'm not going to be with you in Joshua chapter 7? Well, I want to say it depends what you mean when you say God will never leave you nor forsake you. And there's something that we have to remember in our lives here. You see, God is dealing with sin. It's my fourth point here from Joshua chapter 7. He's dealing with sin through covenant, which means this, is that this covenant principle is applied to wherever we find ourselves in our Christian life. And the principle is this, is that God will not take away what he has already given you. In other words, you cannot lose what God has already given you in this covenant that you're in with God by your faith in the blood of Jesus, only what he still wants to give you. And this plays out in this expression of God saying, I'm not going to go with you, Joshua chapter 7, Israel, verse Hebrews, where it says, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. It's this way of God dealing with us in covenant. And friends, this could be a whole sermon on its own, but Joshua in chapter 11 is stressing the fact that Israel has broken covenants. has transgressed the covenants. And God is dealing with Israel within this covenant. And he deals with Israel based on this. Whatever he has given Israel already, he's never going to take away. Ah, but what he still wants to give is up for grabs. He might take that away. And so this is what it means. I'll transfer it it to our context here. By nature of our faith in Jesus, God has given us. An abundance already by us entering into this covenant with him through faith in the blood of Jesus. He's made us sons and daughters of the living God. He's declared us not guilty because of sin. Because of that justification by faith, he's our father and he deals with us as a father. He's our sustainer. He has already seated us in heavenly places because he's made us citizens of his kingdom. He has given us so much already in this Christian life by nature of us just entering into covenant with him. And those things he will never take away. Never. So when you say, well, will God never leave me for, nor forsake me? No, he never will, because on as, as the foundation of him being your father, of him being your sustainer and, uh, of your life, he will never abandon you, my friend. Based on this covenant, God will see you to glory, and forever he will look after you as a father. Where do I know that from? Well, from the first generation of Israelites. Again, remember, they were never kicked back to Egypt. Even in their rebellion and sin, God's covenant stood in what He had given them. He said, Man, you've come under the blood of the Passover lamb. God sustained them with manna and quail. He watched over them so that their clothes didn't wear out. He never stopped having His cloud by day and fire by night. He was with them on the basis of His covenant promises, and He never left them nor forsaken. He never abandoned them. Isn't that amazing? Despite their sin. Ah, but what He did do was in this covenant is. At the start of all of this journey of Israel into leaving Egypt, he said this, guys, there's a future aspect that you that's up for grabs. There's this promised land. There's this inheritance. And you've got to go for it. You've got to persist in faith. You've got to show courage. And you've got to be obedient to my my words, my voice. That was Joshua chapter 1. We saw the second generation. And amazingly, God still wants to give us more in this covenant. Can you believe it? Although we've received so much in Jesus. There is this inheritance that God still wants to give us, just like that first generation, and saying, go for it. It's going to be good. It's going to lead to great blessing in your life. Ah, but it requires your participation. This covenant has responsibility for you too. And based on how much you honor my word, will determine how far you will go in this life, whether or not God's purposes will be achieved in your life. And I want to say this, in terms of what God still wants to give you, God can say because of sin, I'm not going there with you. I'm not giving out with you until you have sorted that sin out in your life. And if we are not careful as Christians with sin and we fall into persistence sin like that first generation, Hebrews tells us God can take an oath, not to abandon us, but to refuse to give us what he wanted to give us. It's off the table. And that's why when Israel tried to get that first generation tried to get back into the promised land, they couldn't get in. God wouldn't go with them because he swore. That because of them them putting him to the test over and over again, not seeking and revering his approval over their behavior and lives, he said, that's it. He didn't abandon what he had given them already nor the ground that they had taken by faith. They never went back to Egypt. They never went back over the Red Sea. God kept them to that point. Why did you give them to that point? Even Hebrews 11 honors that first generation of saying, they crossed the Red Sea. God even commended them for what they'd got, got thus far. He never took it away from them. Ah, but what was still up for grabs, the promised land, Canaan, he said, no, no further, I'm not going with you because of sin. And so, friends, they, we must realize that God's presence will not go with us because of sin and again we must think progress in the kingdom at that point of sin in our lives will be stopped do you notice every time you read in in exodus and in joshua every time there's sin the people have to stop moving they have to stop sort it out and only then can they carry on that's the point of joshua chapter 7 that god wants to give us land in inverted commas, he wants his kingdom to advance in and through us. He wants to show us more of himself and do wonderful things in our lives. But in essence, if we will not honor his covenants, if we will not revere his word, what he still wants to give us, he can say, until you sort out that sin, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to go there. All right. After all of that, I want to say this. My fourth point is that God will reveal sin. And, you know, what I've been saying it might be a bit difficult to swallow because, you know, in my Christian walk, if you said to me, just God really hates sin, I would say, I would struggle to experience that in my day to day life. And you might be saying, said I don't know if this is really rings true of what I know about God. He's loving, He's kind, you know, He's so patient. And I want to say to you, yes, I agree with you. But I want to say, the reason why we struggle as Christians to understand God's hatred of sin is because he's so gentle with us. You know, when you sin or I sin, God doesn't jump down our throats and, and make us uh, put the, the uh, uh, Armageddon fear into our lives. He doesn't do He's so patient. He takes his time. He allows us to repent. He's kind to us. Although I will say this, if you get yourself into serious trouble and he has to yank you out of the fire, he can put some serious warnings before you. But generally speaking, God is not cantankerous and he's not nitpicky and fussy. He allows us space to respond and he allows us more than one time, chance to do so. And this is what comes through in Joshua chapter 7, is we see this guy, Arkan has a long time to repent. I mean, it's so stressful for me when I read this. Joshua does what God tells him. He, he starts to by lot draw the Israel uh, the tribes of Israel and Judah gets picked and then it's the head of the clan, then it's the head of the household, then it's the, it's within the household. I mean God's judgment uh, and re- revealing of Arkansas is getting closer and closer and closer. And I just want to say to the dude, confess, come on, confess, get it done. You know you have an opportunity to repent. it's getting don't you see that God's got your number? And he doesn't do it. And I want to go, come on, buddy, surely. You see, and the point is of God taking his time and allowing Arkan to see that, hey, man, judgment's coming. God's going to reveal the sin. It gives him time to repent. And if he doesn't, and in the end, it causes catastrophic damage to his life and his family's life. But the point is this, my friends. The reason why we are fearful of sin is because it's going to be found out anyway. And if you want to know why the second coming of Jesus is delayed, it's because he gives time for, for people to repent. And for us to bring into the light and to be dealt with before God, what's being been done in darkness. So get rid of it. Because my final point, five here, is sin always leads to loss. Arkin lost everything because he refused to repent before it was too late. It had massive consequences for his family and for 36 Israelite soldiers who died because of sin. And so I want to say to you today, sin never prospers. Run from it like your life depends on it. Is there anything in your life today that it could be the smallest or the great? You just know God has been putting his finger on. Would you deal with it? And I want to just help you do that today. My second great point is courageous faith recovers quickly. And I want to talk about this act of repentance. And friends, there's an urgency to Joshua's dealing with this. And it says early the next morning in Joshua 7, verse 16, when God has identified where the problem is, he starts acting immediately. And this is what you need to do. You need to act now, immediately. You even pause this video if you need to and deal with God. Get it done. Get it out in the light. Turn from it. Don't leave it. It's the worst thing you can do. As soon as conviction comes from the presence of the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, you deal with it then. The second is, this, is repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. There's a life change to it. And what the Israelites had to do is they had to burn those devoted things that were meant to be for God that I They had to get rid of it. And friends, today in your life, you've got to get rid of whatever it is in your life that you know is just not pleasing to God. And that means practical steps, whether it's a device, a relationship, repairing uh, uh, um, uh, any unforgiveness in your heart or bitterness. So you put whatever the context is, whether it is that you deal with it, and then you put measures in place where you not only ask for the help of God, but you put practical measures to rid yourself of unnecessary temptation in those areas. And then I also want to say, if, if you're like me and you've got a sensitive conscience, don't be more holy than God, all right? For me, there's a risk that we can walk in terror as Christians, you know, and we try and outdo God in, in, in holiness where we try and un- overturn every stone and we try and find sin in our lives. I just say to you today, if you've got a sensitive conscience like me, just relax. The Lord will be faithful to convict when something comes up and you let him take the lead in this area of your life. Don't walk in terror. You are to walk in the joy of the Lord. And the joy this is that he'll be faithful to reveal when things in your life are not in line with his word. We can relax. God was faithful to convict where there was an issue. Joshua didn't have to try and figure it out himself. And the last is this: is that you remember the blood. Remember the blood. At the end of chapter eight, the Israelites to get together and they renew covenant, and it's through this blood of sacrifice. And I want to say to you, there is no sin that is too powerful for the blood of Jesus to forgive and to cleanse you from. John chapter one verse nine says: One John one verse nine says, "If you confess your sin." He is just and able to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That blood brings a cleansing effect. And you notice how rapidly things are right between God and Israel? The very next verse in in Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, God says, do not fear. Do not fear. Let's go. Let's go. We dealt with this now. We can get going again. Let's go. It's a wonderful thing. God is so quick to forgive and so quick to allow the progress of the kingdom to continue. In your life and mine. Don't despair. Because my final point is this God works all things for the good. You know, the very way that Israel was defeated when I came out of their the town and village, the sword of I, it was a frontal assault that Israel tried in their overconfidence to wipe out the town. In that second, I won the first victory, but it worked that God, in the second time, he sends Israel to go and tackle I. Because of I's overconfidence, in the first time, God's able to set an ambush, and his enemies are defeated. And God's able to work what had happened in the first round. There was such a humiliating defeat for Israel into a glorious victory. And he'll do the same for you. Friends, don't despair. Don't despair. If you've fallen even into some great sin, come back to God. He's able to work all things for the good, and you might be like that first generation, you've lost some things, maybe you can never get your previous marriage back, or there's certain things that, but look for the Lord, my friend, even that first generation listen. I bet they're telling that second generation, guys, don't do what we did, let me teach you how to follow the Lord here. So when it was their turn now in Joshua, they were ready, they got to see what it meant to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And the consequences of not doing so. Even today in this pandemic, the one thing that reminds me all the time that God will provide is that first generation. For 40 years, if God came miraculously sent manna and quail, how much more in this economic devastation of COVID, I can trust that he can provide for me. Their provision, even despite their rebellion of 40 years in the wilderness, is an example for me to trust God. It's redeemed. The same will be true for you. Let's learn to fear sin and positively go after God and his promises. And who knows what God will do in our day in these strange times. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word today. Thank you for this attitude that you're teaching us to be fearful of sin, to not touch it, Lord. And I pray for a softening of hearts in our lives today that we would remember that God our sin has a corporate impact, that we would bear up our brothers and sisters in this day as we we'd seek to please you, that we'd remember, God, this is a bigger picture we're living in. But also, I pray that we would see the bigger picture of covenant. And so, Lord, today we want to honor you with our bodies, with our mouths, our minds. And
0: Lord, we want to get rid of anything
1: that would block the glory of your name and kingdom purposes flowing in and through us at this time. Help us do so, Lord. We are grateful that you have made measures for this in the blood of Jesus. And that, Lord, even if we have stumbled, Lord, you are able to pick us up, to move us forward through our ability to trust you and to confess our sin and bring it under the blood today. Thank you that you are able to work all things for the good. I pray today that we new hope, new courage, new steadfastness to give ourselves wholeheartedly to what you want us to do in this day and age.